Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. All right, this is part 45 of my thousand year message series. <laughs> Actually, it's part five. It may feel like you've been through a millennium. This is the last of part five. I've been doing a series titled Jesus is Coming. And I hope it's getting you excited about the return of Jesus Christ, because it is me. And uh, today I want to describe life in the millennial kingdom, okay? Life in the millennial kingdom. Last week, just to review a little bit, last week um, the armies on earth were marching towards Jerusalem, right? Possibly, I don't know, millions, hundreds of millions of people. And of course, Jesus comes back. The armies of heaven are following Jesus, right? Jesus comes back, destroys the enemies that are trying to fight against Jerusalem. And then Jesus gathers all the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. He separates them like the sheep and the goats. The wicked are sent to eternal punishment. The righteous are going to go into this thousand-year millennial kingdom. Okay, so we talked about that last week. Um, let me just briefly read you. Sorry, Abby, this is not up there. Uh, (laughs) Revelation 24. Let me just read you the statement about the millennial kingdom. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or His image and had not received a mark on their foreheads and on their hand, and they came to life. Okay, so these were people martyred during this tribulation period. They come to life. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. All right, so would you agree they're going to actually be with Jesus for a thousand years? Okay, that's what it says. They're reigning for a thousand years. And you remember I, I said last week, guys, this, who can understand this plan? I mean, why does God do things? He takes Satan, he puts him on a chain, and puts him into a pit for the thousand years. Why would he do that? I mean, I'm glad he does it. And the people that are alive during that millennial period, they're glad he does that. But he does it, right? So Satan is bound. There's no temptation. Can you imagine no temptation? How many times are you tempted each day? Right? There's none. No temptation. For a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose. Why? I don't know. But he goes and he gathers. Again, he tempts people one last time. This is it. This is the last time. He tempts people. Again, he, somehow he convinces them to march on Jerusalem and fight against Jesus. I mean, he didn't learn from the first time. So fire is going to come down from heaven. And finally, everything is going into the lake of fire that's wicked. Everything. Death is there. Hades is there. Satan's there. Everything is there. All the wicked people are there at the very end. Okay, So that's what we talked about last week. But I'm going to kind of back up now. What is this thousand year reign of Christ look like? Because it's pretty interesting. Um, We said that in this thousand year reign, there's going to be people there, right? The tribulation saints come. They're raised from the dead. They're there. I think we said that last week too. I said the Old Testament saints are probably there because they sat on thrones. 
Who are they that sat on the thrones? Remember Jesus told the apostles, you will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so the, 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 uh, the church is probably there. Let me read you a scripture, another scripture I didn't get into because I didn't know about it. In Luke 13, 28. Luke 13, 28 and 29. It seems like the Old Testament saints are going to be there, like Abraham, Isaac, Isaiah, Daniel. Let's see. Okay, it says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's talking about the end of the age. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, where? In the kingdom of God. But yourselves being thrown out. So Jesus is saying, hey, the gate is narrow, right? Not everybody's getting in. And He's saying to the Jews, it's like, hey, in the kingdom of God, when everyone comes from all over the world to sit down in the kingdom, some of you aren't going to make it. Okay, And it goes on to say, and they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So that first resurrection in Revelation 24, it looks like these Old Testament saints are going to be there. Uh, I think the New Testament saints are going to be there. Of course, the righteous saints from the tribulation are going to come to life and be there. So it looks like it's populated by a bunch of righteous people. That's pretty cool. All right, well, let's, let's go on and let's, let's look to see what characterizes this millennial kingdom. Why is there a millennial kingdom? That's the big question. I mean, why do we... Because some people say it really isn't a literal thousand years. It's a, it's a figure, uh, kind of more of a, it's not a non-literal thing. In other words, the saints are in heaven, right? All those people that have died since Jesus, they're already up in heaven. They're reigning with Christ. So that thousand year period kind of stands for what's already going on in heaven. They're reigning with Christ in heaven. Some other people say, well, it just stands for a long period of time. Um, You know, the saints are on the earth right now. The church is here. And things are going to get better and better. The gospel is going to be spread to more and more people throughout the whole world. And we're going to kind of take over governments and we're going to, you know, kind of ease on into heaven. You can study those other views. I'm not going to go into them. I'm just going to stick with this literal thousand-year period. Okay. Okay. So why? Well, you got to understand this. This was this was kind of new to me. Okay. We have the period we're living in now, right? Sin has entered the world. We're living in the flesh, but Christ has redeemed a people for Himself, right? So our mission is to spread the gospel. It's a it's an age. It's a season of grace. Do you see God right now just trouncing nations and judging them? No. No, because that's not the season we're in. We're in the season of grace. Okay, we're going to read a bunch of scriptures where Jesus is on earth and he's punishing people. So, is that going to be now? No. Could that be the eternal state? And by the eternal state, that's what we think of as heaven okay the eternal state is when this this heaven and earth disappear peter said that the elements guys when you look at the stars tonight and you walk outside on the earth it's going to disappear 
your nice car that you've worked so hard for, it's history. The elements are literally going to melt with fervent heat, is what the Scripture says. It's history. It's gone. So, after this heaven and this earth are gone and melted down, God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. In the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more devil. There's no more sin. It's, this says specifically in Revelation, there's no more curse. Right? So I'm going to call that the eternal state. Jesus is going to rule and reign, and it's going to be the time that we think of as heaven. So the Scriptures I'm going to read you today, they don't fit this time that we're in now, and they don't fit heaven. But they do fit a thousand year period. And I'll let you be the judge of that. Alright, so let's do it. Why is there a millennial kingdom? Because Jesus has to reign on the earth. He has to make his enemies a footstool. Okay? He has to rule with a rod of iron because the scripture predicts it. Uh, Psalm two eight. Psalm two eight and two nine. Ask of me, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Okay, is Jesus breaking up nations and shattering them like pottery right now? No. In heaven, can you picture Jesus saying to His bride, ha <laughs> You blew it. I'm just going to dash you to pieces like a jar. No. So when is that going to happen? It's happening during this thousand year period that's going to come. Okay, That's Psalm 2, 8 and 9. It's also in Psalm 110 where it says that He has to make His enemies His footstool. Okay, there's a time. Are Jesus' enemies right now His footstool? I mean, positionally, I mean, Christ rules over all. But what's going on in earth right now, no, that's not happening. So there has to be a time and there is coming. Another thing that has to happen is Israel has to rule over her enemies. Now, let's think about this. The pinnacle of Israel's kingdom was Solomon, right? David did the hard work. David plowed the ground up. And Solomon came in, and it, that, that was the time when Israel came closest to inhabiting the land promised in Genesis. Israel, during the time of Solomon, did not inhabit all the land God said they were to inhabit. Okay, what happened during Solomon's reign? The queen of the south, remember the queen of Sheba? She travels 1,500 miles to come to Jerusalem. Why? Because she heard of Solomon's fame. And while she got there, she got saved, basically. Right? She saw, it wasn't just she, she saw Solomon's wealth. What did she see? She saw a people worshiping the living God. Isn't that cool? And Jesus testified that the Queen of the South is going to rise up at the end in judgment over the, those Jews that didn't believe. That woman's saved. We'll meet her one day. Okay, that's pretty cool. But during Solomon's time, it went downhill after Solomon. Right? Solomon sinned in the end. His son sinned in the end. What happened to the kingdom? It was divided. Now, what has happened? That was about a thousand years B.C. was the time of 
David and Solomon. What's happened to the Jews the last 3,000 years? They've been beat down, right? I mean, beat down. Beat down. Is that what God has promised His people? That they would just go through history being beat down. There's a day coming when people on earth, they will travel to Jerusalem and they will lick the dust at the feet of Israel. Let's read it. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Well, you don't have this. Sorry again, Ivy. Isaiah 41 says, Israel is going to thresh the nations. And it says it's going to be a double-bladed threshing instrument. Okay, that stands for judgment. The nations are going to come and serve. And look in Isaiah 49.22. You know, God keeps His promises. He really does. 49.22 and 23. This is an astounding Scripture. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up My hand to the nations and set up My standard to the peoples. And they will bring your sons in their bosom and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. You guys remember the piggyback ride when you were kids? Okay, that's a word picture that the Gentile nations are going to do everything in their power to bring the Jews back to Jerusalem. They're serving the Jews. Why? Because thus says the Lord God. It's going to happen. And then what? And your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians. God's commanding the kings of the earth, hey, I want you to guard them. I want you to guard their passage. I want you to give them safe passage. I want you to get them here to Jerusalem. What else? And their princes, your nurses. God says to all the rulers of the earth, I want you to take care of them as they begin their journey back to Jerusalem. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth. And they will lick the dust of your feet. Obviously, it's a word picture, but it's a pretty significant one. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. See, God wants the whole world to know that He's God. And how are they going to know that? See, because thousands of years ago, God said, hey, by the way, I'm going to regather the outcasts of Israel and I'm going to set it up as I originally designed the people of the earth to serve my chosen people. You don't see it right now for these 3,000 years, but I said it and it's going to happen. And you're going to see it. And then everyone will know that I'm God because I said it and it's happening. That's exactly what's going on here. So Israel has to be served. And they will be served. Another thing that's kind of interesting is it seems like the church reigns over God's enemies at the same time. Look in Revelation 2.26. I kind of missed this my first these last couple of weeks. Revelation 2.26. And 27. John is, I mean, Jesus is speaking to the churches, all right? So these, this is the church age here. This is to the, the saints at Thyatira. And he says this, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over who? Next Scripture. And he shall rule them with a 
rod of iron. And the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I have received authority from my Father. So, you know, Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. But it looks like the saints are going to be with Him ruling with a rod of iron. And Israel is there as the nations come and bow down to them and lick the dust of their feet. So this is a time of ruling and reigning by the saints. The tables are now switched. Who's ruling and reigning now? I mean, Christ is ruling and reigning now, but the prince of the power of the air is out there, right? Satan has people deceived. He's got people's lives trapped. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's a day coming, and that ain't happening anymore. That ain't happening. He's in a pit on a chain. But now it's, it's what Jesus has wanted from the beginning, His saints ruling and reigning. Pretty cool. And, uh, you know, God has always wanted Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. Well, that's happened somewhat in history, hasn't it? And again, it culminated with Solomon. But after Solomon, how much of a light was Israel to the Gentiles? Not really what God wanted. Well, there's a day coming where the fullness of Israel will shine forth the glory of God to the entire planet. Let's see. Um, there's some scriptures on that. I'm not going to read them all. Isaiah 2 3 is one, though. I'll read. Isaiah 2 3. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Why would you want to do that? To the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways. Who is he? Jesus, right? Is Jesus there in the house of Jacob? And that, may, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, what's happening here? It's like, you know how there's in Islam, they make this pilgrimage to Mecca? Okay, well, they make it to serve a false god. We have people on the earth they are going to make pilgrimage to, to the house of the God of Jacob because He's there. And they want to be, they want to learn the Word of the Lord. Isn't that cool? And you know, think about this. Who's going to teach the Word of the Lord in those days? I mean, Jesus is there, right? But is, is Jesus going to teach everybody? Probably not. When Jesus walked the earth, did Jesus literally teach everybody? He commissioned people, didn't He? He commissioned the twelve, and then He sent out seventy, and then He sent His church out. Well, I think what's going to happen in this thousand-year reign is He's going to delegate responsibility to teach the Word of the God from Jerusalem to the saints. So some of us are going to be teaching in the Millennial Kingdom. Wouldn't that be cool? Why not? I mean, somebody's got to teach, right? I don't know Jesus is going to... I don't think He wants to teach millions of people. I think it's always His intention to raise up people to do the work of the ministry. So some of us might be there teaching. By the way, before I forget, I, I, I keep forgetting. I practiced this three times at home and I forgot all three times. I did... Uh, I got you one last handout. Okay? Did you all notice that? This is more of a study sheet 
uh, my encouragement with this is, you know, study, look up these scriptures for yourselves, and see if see if what I'm saying seems to bear to bear out. But to me, this has been a really rich study. I've wanted to do this for 25 years, so, so I've waited 25 years to finally do this, and I'm glad I have. So hopefully, this will be a blessing to you. Um, I'm covering some of these scriptures today, not all of them, obviously. We really would be here for a thousand years. <laughs> okay, so, and you know, back to uh, the word of God going out from Jerusalem. Now you realize, let's back up in the time of the tribulation. We've got the uh, seal judgments poured out. We've got the bowl judgments poured out. We've got the trumpet judgments poured out, right? The sun is scorching people. Uh, Meteor-sized rocks are being thrown. The rivers are poisoned. Uh, The vegetation is burned up. Now I wonder, I mean, are all the satellites going to be destroyed? Are there going to be, you know, what kind of technology will there there be during this thousand-year reign? I mean, are we back to camels and donkeys traveling? I have no idea, obviously, but it's kind of interesting to think about it because the word of the Lord is going out from Jerusalem. Is it like CNN, but maybe GNN, right? God's News Network? And Peter's the anchorman, right? (laughs) I don't know. I really don't. But if it is, some of us may be teaching on GNN for the whole world to see. Wouldn't that be cool? I have a little artistic license here. There's some really neat stuff that's going to happen during this time. Uh, healing. Uh, there's going to be peace. There's going to be abundance. Let's look at some of this stuff. You know there's going to be a new tabernacle rebuilt, right? The Scripture is pretty clear on it in a number of places. One place it says, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Ezekiel describes the tabernacle like half the book of Ezekiel is a description of this new tabernacle. And it's kind of interesting. So let's look at, um, let's go first to Zechariah. But out of this tabernacle, there's going to be a river flowing. And where is it? Zechariah 14. Have you noticed Zechariah talks a lot about the end time? That would be a good book to read. Seriously, when you get home. Alright, verse 8. And in that day, living waters. What kind of waters? Living will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea. The east would be where the Dead Sea is, right? That's to your right. East is to your right. And the other half toward the western sea. Well, what sea was west of Jerusalem? That would be the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. So we got waters, a river going east, and we got waters going to the west. And so it will be in summer as well as in winter. What kind of waters were they again? Living waters, all right? So we've, everyone's heard of people searching for the fountain of youth. Well, there's not a fountain of youth, but there's a river of life that's coming. All right, let's see what Ezekiel says about it. It's pretty cool, actually. Ezekiel 47, 7. Ezekiel writes so much. I mean, it's unbelievable how much he wrote about this. All right, Ezekiel 47, 7. 
It says, Now when I had returned, that's Ezekiel speaking, behold, on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and the other. This is, this, this is the river flowing out of the throne. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Araba. Okay? So Ezekiel is just describing waters that go down into the Dead Sea. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. Living waters make the Dead Sea fresh. That's pretty cool. You realize nothing lives in the Dead Sea? That's why they call it the Dead Sea. I mean, hardly even bacteria can live in the Dead Sea. That's how dead that thing is. It's about 30, 35% salt content. It's about nine times what the ocean has in it. Alright, verse 9. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. That's interesting. And there will be very many fish. For these waters will go there and the others become fresh so that everything will live where the rivers go. So it's literally a river of life. And it will come about the fishermen will stand back. And they're going to cast their nets and cast. They're going to catch fish like the fish in the Great Sea, like the Mediterranean Sea. So somehow, God is going to stock the Dead Sea pond with fish. I don't know how He does it, but He's going to stock the pond with fish. Very many, it says. Verse 11, But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Why? I don't know. Our bodies need salt, don't they? Yeah, we need some salt to live. Verse 12, By the river on its bank on one side and on the outlet will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. Okay, so And their fruit will not fail. Sounds like the curse is being reversed, doesn't it? You got a tree that's going to continuously produce fruit. The leaves never wither. They will bear every month, 12 times a year. You get to go to these things and pick apples 12 times a year. Because their water flows from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering of all the ages is finally starting to disappear. And now something's coming out of a throne, out of a tabernacle. Rivers are going to the east. By the way, Jerusalem, I think, I don't know if you caught it, but it says it several times. Jerusalem is actually going to be elevated above all the surrounding mounds. It's not quite. Jerusalem is not the highest elevation right now. But there's going to be earthquakes and topological features. And Jerusalem is going to literally be elevated as the highest point in the region. It's kind of like one person likened it as a diamond solitaire ring. I mean, it just shines brightly with the light of, light of God. And so you can just picture these rivers of waters flowing out into the sea. Now here's, you know, if, if I was acting a little immature, I would want to put on my bathing suit and jump in. I wonder, will God let people swim in the rivers? And if it's a river of life, look what it does to the Dead Sea. Look what it does to the trees. Or somebody could write a book, a novel, or do a movie about this. But 
You know, what if you swam in the river of life? Now, I know that's a little silly, but just just wondering. Because maybe the kids will be able to play in the water of life. All right, so anyway, we have, we have these living waters uh, flowing down. The curse is starting to be removed. Let's take a look. Well, let me back up. The sea is healed. The fruit, the trees are producing fruit. There's another scripture in Isaiah 27, 6. You don't have it. But it says that Israel will fill the world with fruit. That's a powerful statement, right? Israel will fill the world with fruit. In other words, there's going to be abundance coming like the world has never seen before. And God's going to use Israel to bless the nations. Okay, this is Israel's time. This is their moment. They get to bless people. Um, What else is here? The curse on the ground looks like it's slowly being removed. Isaiah 55.13 Let's take a look there. Yeah, instead of thorn bushes, what's going to come up? A cypress. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. When God cursed the ground in Genesis, you know, what happened? There were thorns and thistles and by the sweat of our brow we labored. It looks like that curse is starting to be lifted or reversed. Not sure exactly how that's working because death is still there. People in the millennial kingdom are still going to die. Okay, but God is slowly restoring things back to like the Garden of Eden type of time. In fact, the scriptures are in your uh, table somewhere. I forget where they are, but it says that the land will be like the Garden of Eden again. That's cool. That's cool. Alright, so we have fruit filling the earth. Peace. How many of us would like to see peace on earth? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you feel the same way. Every time I I see something that North Korea says, it just, you know, just something turns in my stomach. It's like, is this ever going to end? Because they have the they have the, uh, how's, how's a nice way to say this? They have the ability to wreak havoc and start something really nasty, don't they? I mean, and you hear Russia, the silly things they do. And, you know, all these nations of the world, I don't want to see another world war. Do you? That'd be terrible. The war is, you know, it's been said war is hell. Um, war the pain of war is terrible. The death that comes from war is terrible. The broken families and lives is horrible. But, you know, really the worst thing about war is not the blood and death and destruction so much as it is people dying without Christ and stand before God and have to pay the penalty for their sins. That's what's the worst that I can think of about war. There's no more war. I mean, they're going to beat their 
war instruments into farming instruments, right? Uh, let's see, peace on earth. Isaiah 2.4, I believe that says that. So this is a good day. Whoever's, li- whoever's alive during this time, they get to live a thousand years with no war. Verse 4, He will judge the nations and will render decisions for many people and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. I like that. Never again. That's good news, guys. I didn't read this, but Armageddon was so bad so horrendous, the armies that marched against Christ and tried to defeat Him, it says it takes them seven years to burn the instruments of war. Seven years. It takes them seven months just to bury the dead. It takes them seven years to get rid of all the uh, instruments of war. That's how bad it is. But in this time period, there's peace. There's no Satan. There's no temptation. There's another really fascinating thing. God makes a covenant with the animals during this time. Hosea 2.18 In that day I will also make a covenant for them, them being the people, with... Who's He making a covenant with? He's making a covenant with the animals. Isn't that cool? What's the birds of the sky and the creeping things of the ground and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make them lie down in safety. So God's making a covenant with the animals to not, what? Harm people. Isn't that cool? And what you're all familiar with is uh, it's Isaiah 11.6. Let's go there if I can find it. Isaiah 11.6-9. through 9. This is the classic passage here. I'm sorry, Isaiah 11.6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. And also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat grass like the young. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. You can let your little two-year-old outside and hang out with a rattlesnake. No problem. And the weaned child, isn't that what it said? Will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Why aren't they going to hurt? Because the animals know something. They know Jesus is there reigning. And Jesus has made a covenant with them and said, you don't hurt anybody anymore. I say, okay, no problem. And when we went up, up to near Charlottesville, there's, I forget what they're called. There's some rocks up there. Ed, you probably know what, what they're called. But um, you can go climbing up there. They also had this historical place. It was like a, a, a house, farmhouse, like 150 years old, whatever it was. And, it had like a little farm of what it was like 200 years ago to live. And they had this sign and it said, Beware of rattlesnakes. I'm like, rattlesnakes? 
And uh, so, you know, we walk down and we look in this one little outbuilding, and it has like a, a stone wall there. And there's, there's a couple of people just staring, fascinated at this stone wall. So I'm with my two boys, and we just kind of walk over. You know, I'm like, what are you guys looking at? Like, oh, the rattlesnake. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like pushing my boys back. <laughs> um, <coughs> that's funny, but there's something that's not funny. And it's, uh, can you imagine going on vacation with a two-year-old? And you walk down to the water's edge, and a crocodile takes your two-year-old? It's terrible. I mean, it's horrible. Three million people a year die from mosquitoes. They spread malaria, right? I mean, so right now, you know, the curse is, is definitely active, and animals definitely harm people. But there's a day coming when God makes a covenant with the animals, you will not harm any more. That's good news. That's good news. Prayer. You know, the millennium talks about prayer. Isaiah 65, 24. Let's see if I can find that. This is pretty cool. 65.24. Here we go. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. How'd you like to have your prayers answered like that? Before you even get it on the tip of your tongue, the answer comes to you. That is really cool. Sometimes we have to wait a while before we get our answer. I mean, God hears our prayers. I'm not saying that. But there's a special time when God makes a special promise that, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. You're my people. As soon as, you, as soon as you even think it in your mouth, I'm going to answer your prayers and bring it to pass. That's coming. That's coming. There's another thing coming. There's a temple. I already told you the temple is going to be rebuilt, but they're going to offer sacrifices on the temple. So why are they going to offer animal sacrifices on the temple if Jesus already came and satisfied all those types and shadows from the Old Testament? Good question. I really don't know. I mean, I can guess. I can say what, I can say what the Bible scholars tell you. And I will because it kind of makes sense. Um, basically, it seems as though, you know... <clears throat> I said there's, there's different time, seasons, right? We're in a church season, so there's no, there's no, there's no goats or lambs out, out back that we never go out and kill, right? Okay. So would you agree this is, this is definitely that season? <laughs> okay. So, but if Jesus is going to live on the earth and Israel is going to reign like Scripture has promised, and He's going to, you know... God can do whatever He wants in His kingdom, can He? It's His kingdom. So if Jesus wants animal sacrifices, now we know they don't take away, they're not going to take away sin. In fact, in the Old Covenant, did they ever take away sin? No. No. What was the point? Hebrews 10.3 But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. So... Could it be? Could they be for a memorial? 
You know, like how we practice the Lord's table communion. I mean, it's not like we nail Jesus to the cross all over again, but He said, hey, do this in remembrance of Me. It's important. What I did is important. So maybe Jesus wants an object lesson during that thousand-year reign. Say, hey guys, what I did is important. So bring the animals in. You need to see what I did. This is a picture of what I did. Bring the animals in. They're also going to uh, observe the feasts. Tabernacles. Passover. Unleavened bread. They're only observing three feasts. Why aren't they observing all the feasts? I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know is Jesus said in Zechariah, if you don't observe the feasts, there's going to be punishment. I forgot to give that scripture <clears throat> earlier on. In, uh, who was it? Zechariah 14.16. What's going to happen if they don't obey? For Zechariah 14, here we go, 16. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up year to year to worship the king. Is he really there? They're going up to worship who? The king. Is Jesus there in the millennial kingdom? I just want to make sure to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles. Okay, what happens? And it will be that whatever, whichever families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. That's interesting. You don't want to go? No rain. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, there will be no rain on them. And it will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Okay, does that sound like heaven to you? No, it's not heaven. Jesus is not smiting people in heaven. Jesus is not smiting people right now. Jesus is smiting people during a thousand year period. Okay, he can do it. He's the king. They don't want to obey him. They get smitten. Obviously, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is pretty important to Jesus, isn't it? I mean, for him to punish you if you don't come? But really, what's, what's the whole issue? It says to worship the king. He came the first time to his own and his own received him. Not. He's been rejected now since the beginning of recorded history. Is it alright if Jesus comes back to earth to receive absolute worship from the earth? People of the earth. Yeah. yeah, that's what's going on here. It's His time now. He's coming to earth to rule and reign where man failed. His people, where His people failed, His people are now coming back. They're going to rule and reign with Jesus. Everything said is going to become is coming to pass. Guys, this day is coming. It's kind of exciting. Like I said, I think we'll be there. <clears throat> of course, at the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose. We know it happens. Uh, he gets destroyed. Everything is thrown into the lake. Everything vile, everything wicked goes into the lake of fire. The new heavens come out of earth. 
right? The new Jerusalem prepared beautifully as a bride dressed for her husband. I will wipe away all their tears. There will be no more curse. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be, I mean, it's all gone. Then we go into the eternal state. There's no more punishment. Jesus is going to reign. It's not going to be with a rod of iron in the eternal state. It's going to be a joyful, peaceful reign where we people just love to come and worship Jesus for the rest of all eternity. So that's where we're going if you know Jesus. That's where we're heading. So Jesus is coming. Get ready. What's the point? You know, why study this stuff? I mean, you see how big these tables are that I'm giving you every week? The Bible is full of knowledge on this subject. Obviously, it's important to God that we know this stuff. So we want to study this stuff. But why? I mean, does it give you hope, though? I tell you, it gives me hope because in this body I groan. Paul says in his heavenly, in his earthly tent, he groans, right? Don't you long to be released from the groaning, the suffering, and the pain of this body? Well, no, there's a day coming. That should give us hope. We just have to persevere a few more years, really. I mean, I'm what, 54? You know, I'm going to live 20, 30 more years. Then it's history. I'm there. Those of you that are older, praise God, it's not, it's not much longer for you. <laughs> I'm saying that the right way, okay? <laughs> Don't take me the wrong way on that. It's, I mean, it's true. <laughs> You're not going to live forever. Rejoice! Rejoice! You know, I told you, uh, I tutor I tutor this past school year, and it just ended, of course. I told you about the 15-year-old girl who lost her dog, um, but then she got her dog back, and how excited she was to get her dog back. Uh, well, I shared with her, I shared the gospel with her a number of times, um, because they, her and her grandmother, she lived with her grandmother, they were talking about Jesus to me. They didn't know him, but... They were talking about him. God was drawing them to himself. So I said, <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got, I can say what I want here. And so I did. Um, and the very last day, I mean, I, I shared the gospel with her. And it just, she comes from a broken family. It's horrible. It makes everything I just read here, it's like God, you know, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Her, her family life is horrible. I mean, it's, it's terrible. But, you know, the good news is what I shared with her in the very last day, this was, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, listen, I said, you're a great student, so I appreciate it, everything. But I said, the best thing you can do is serve Jesus Christ. You've got to obey Him. You can't have premarital sex. You can't give in to all this drinking and getting drunk stuff. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And that was my last word. And she said, yes, yes. So, you know, I pray for her that she'll really come to know Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the season right now. This is this is the, this is it, okay? Where we we have a responsibility to share Christ with people. So again, just to encourage you, if you go out to lunch today, 
Look for opportunities. Sharing Christ is not a passive thing. It's not, it's not just enough to pray, Jesus, save me. Is it? Because then nobody would do anything. Jesus, save me. But does it start with prayer? Yeah. We have to pray, Lord Jesus, save my mother, my brother, my aunt, my uncle, my neighbor, my whoever. But then, who's, who sits in, in uh, La Carreta and says, Lord, give me an opportunity to share something with this young lady? Who does that? Do we do that? We don't think that way, do we? Yeah, I mean, we were enjoying our family. There's nothing wrong with enjoying our family, is there? No. But are we here also so that somebody else might enjoy who Jesus is? So when you're out, when you're walking through Lowe's, when you're walking through Kroger, say, Lord, is there somebody that needs something, God? And be, just be open. Be led by the Holy Spirit. That, that's all I'm saying. Because there's a day coming that uh, I couldn't make jokes like I made today. I could joke around today because we could celebrate in the Millennial Kingdom. But I couldn't joke about judgment and how horrible that is. It really is. So, appreciate you guys bearing with me through all this. I hope this series has helped you. And I hope, I hope you'll study. You've got to study for yourselves, okay? Don't be somebody else's champion. Okay, I don't want to be of John MacArthur. I don't want to be of premillennialists. I don't. I want to be of. I study all these men and women, but I want to say, God, what are you saying to me through this? That's what you want. Don't champion somebody else. Champion the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as He gives you wisdom as you study the Scripture. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.